What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Busting Brackets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Hope, here with my co-host, Brian Ralph, and we are joined by Trenton Korn and Alex Weber to discuss uh, everything that happened last week in the NBA draft, some uh, interesting uh, free agent signings from the undrafted players, and and a lot more coming out of that. But uh, first, one of the biggest news of the weekend, it was the news that the UConn Huskies are going to be moving back to the Big East from the American Conference after six seasons in the American Athletic Conference. Brian, this was something that you want, kind of wanted to touch on. You wanted to uh, t- talk about what, what were your thoughts when you first saw the news that they were heading back? I'm happy about it. I'm glad we're finally seeing a school with a major basketball program kind of give up a futile pursuit of football. Because that was what all the conference alignment was six years ago. Everybody changed conferences to try and get in the Power 5 football conference, chasing money there. And UConn kind of got left in, I guess, kind of left without a dance partner, so to speak, because their football program is awful and has been awful. And they were chasing this thing that wasn't there, and it cost their basketball program a lot. A lot of their struggles on the court – since they won the national title in 2014 uh, from playing in the American can be traced back to different things like poor coaching, Um, you know, but playing in the American certainly didn't help them from a recruiting standpoint, especially. So going back to the biggest, I think gives UConn its identity back is going to help Dan Hurley's rebuild speed up because I think there'll be some new momentum around the program. And I'm just happy to see a basketball centric school, actually put basketball first instead of trying to chase uh, some football money that they're never going to get. Yeah. I mean, they made it to the Fiesta Bowl, I think in 2010 out of the Big East conference when it was them, Pitt, Pitt, West they only won. They only won eight games that year. Like they yeah, no, I mean, the Big East being terrible at football. Yeah. It was a product of the Big East football being really bad that year. Um, but I, I think that, as, as someone who grew up a UConn fan, I agree that this is kind of a, a good move. Uh, UConn has been basketball uh, pretty much since uh, Calhoun and Oriyama got there. Um, they've kind of both built their programs at around the same time. Uh, UConn women's basketball has been essentially the state sport of the state of Connecticut. And the women's team hasn't lost an American conference game since they joined the conference. Yeah. <laughs> and that's insane. And, yeah, and I think that uh, one issue they're going to have moving back to the Big East is that right now their program is not in the best place. I mean, I know Hurley's there now, so hopefully he can get it turned around. But competing at the top of that, that Big East conference is going to be tough. Um, Alex, you probably saw the news. What was your take on it? Uh, well, okay, it's definitely better for them on the men's basketball side, unless they had some dream of, like, dominating a conference, which I guess they could have positioned themselves to do in the AAC at some point. But uh, the competition in the Big East is just so much better. I guess if you're a UConn alumnus, someone who cares about the athletic program at large, it could be negative because aren't they going to lose a lot of football revenue? Their football program wasn't doing a a ton. Their athletic department lost $40 million last year. And so this might be an effort. um, You know, they've been trying to get into a conference for football 
but yeah. nobody's taking them. So they're probably going to end up being a independent. Uh, and I think it might be only a matter of time before they go back to the FCS ranks, uh, kind of that, that former one double A, just because I don't think they're going to make, want to make the investment in football because they've been losing so much money. And I think the move to the Big East, they're hoping their basketball program can help recoup some of those losses and offset what the football program's gone through. Yeah, I think it's just, it's a return to identity move. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a, it is a, we are going to go back all in on our four national championship basketball team, as opposed to try this, this out any further with a football team that's only been around since 2000. So in the D1 ranks. So yeah, it's, uh, I like the move, but I can understand why certain people within the big East might not like it. Um, Brian, if you could speak to that maybe a little bit, do, do you think this is a move that the big East should accept? Or is this the move, a move that the big East might be a little bit apprehensive about? I think it's twofold both ways. I think you want to accept it because it adds another brand name to the conference, right? Another, not blue blood program, but a, a nationally recognized marquee program to add to Villanova and you know, a good Georgetown team, uh, you know, but it adds back to some of the name and the trying to tap into some of the old prestige. And I think UConn will kind of come back into it effortlessly. Uh, schools that might not be happy with it, I've seen people unhappy that I have to deal with the UConn fans again. So apparently that's an issue, but I've, I've never seen anything wrong with, with the UConn fan base. It's the schools like the Providences and the Seton Halls, I think, that were relatively mediocre in the old Big East. And, and since the realignment and the new conference – they've been able to have more success and kind of build their programs. And that's been part of really good hires and they've done really well, but those schools have capitalized on, I guess, some of the void. They filled some of the void that was left by these bigger schools along the big in the big East from players in the Northeast who want to play in the big East. Suddenly those guys, instead of considering UConn who don't want to go play Tulsa or go play Houston, end up going, maybe considering, and end up going to a Seton Holler province to play in the Big East. Now, UConn becomes a bigger player for those guys, and I think we could see some of those mid-tier Big East schools go down a little bit. I'm, I'm curious, Trenton, what do you think about maybe the Big East receiving UConn? Um, I'm not like the, I don't know the most about this. Um, I know about kind of like conference realignment and stuff, because I'm a Big 12 fan, and obviously kind of know the rumblings of the Big 12, and getting some teams and I know UConn was a a team floating around there for a little bit um as far as UConn um focus on basketball it obviously makes a lot of sense better conference and then if they're focusing solely on basketball it'll be better recruiting wise for the team um football I feel like instead of being mediocre at both things or less than mediocre and then mediocre at both things you can be have a really really good known basketball program there in the, in the in the Big East. So it's a good move, I think, for them to, to do that. But Yeah, I think that where it's going to affect the most outside of UConn uh, specifically might be how it affects the strength of the women's basketball in those two conferences. Because I know women's basketball in the American is, is at a higher level than in the Big East. Um, USF has a good program. And a few of the other te- uh schools in that conference have pretty good programs. So it'll be interesting. Um, I definitely think that it's one of those things where 
I don't think the move to the Big East was necessarily the most important aspect of it. I think it is it is UConn's decision to focus on a conference that's going to do the most for their basketball program. So with that said, Brian, we had the NBA draft last Thursday. Uh, some some surprises, some not so surprises. Um, why don't why don't you start uh, with some it of was a super wacky draft after the top ten. I think the top ten may have been a shakeup in the order in terms of the way people were expecting, but the general top ten prospects that we all thought would go in the top ten ended up going in the top ten. After that, it was an absolute nightmare of just random things going on. No one really knew what was happening. Cameron Johnson, I think, got things off being the 11th pick by the Phoenix Suns. Nobody really saw that coming. Trenton, I know you had him down as potentially the biggest reach of the draft, and I don't know if anybody would disagree with you. And um, the Suns maybe being a, a, one of the draft's losers, so to speak, by reaching for him. What do you, what do you mean by that? Uh, well, no, it all started off when they traded uh, Ilka's pick six for pick 11 and Daryl Saric. Terrible. Um, they needed a point guard. I thought that was kind of a, a questionable move right there. So I didn't really understand that fully unless they think they're going to go get D'Angelo Russell or Terry Rozier or somebody from another team. But I thought, no, that's not guaranteed. He should have got you the guaranteed point guard, Kobe White, Darius Garland. I thought they should have done that before anything. And then the Cam Johnson pick, I just didn't really – I thought he was going to go 10 spots lower than where he went. So um, definitely questionable. And then, of course, they traded away T.J. Warren for just literal money. Like, it was just money. Overall, I felt like the uh, – I felt like their draft wasn't very good at all. But Yeah, and if you're in the trading back, they could have traded back – 10 more spots, as you mentioned, and gotten more yeah. assets and still ended up with their guy probably. So it's just a weird move all around. Alex, the only guy who I think people had a, kind of raised their eyebrows with who was picking the top 10 was Rui Hachimura, who I know you're not super high on. Well, it's not that I'm not super high on him. I actually kind of like his game. I think he can score the ball really effectively, and his mid-range is good, all that kind of stuff. He plays really hard which I like, but why? there's no reason to take him ninth when there's teams that are picking in the 20s that reportedly were going to pass on him. Like, I feel like they could have gotten him much later. And in this draft, just go ahead and trade down. Forget yeah. We talked yeah, about yeah. since this top 10, so why not? If you're going to be in the top 10, take one of those guys. If you don't want him, then trade down. Well, one thing, too, the Wizards don't have a GM, so technically nobody's kind of yeah. running their show. You know, and I, I think that really hurt them. But one thing we saw in the draft, too, was outside of that top 10, those next 20, 30 prospects, everybody had rated differently. I oh, know yeah. some people didn't have Jordan Poole on their board mm-hmm. because he ends up going in the first round to Golden State, which I thought was really interesting. Well, I had him as one of my winners because it's like nobody had him on their boards, and then he all of a sudden his first round pick, of course, goes to the Warriors. It's like who doesn't want to go play for the Warriors? He's going to come in. He's going to think, oh, Clay Thompson's out. I'm just going to be Clay. I'm going to take all these shots. I'll probably shoot a lot worse, but who cares? He'll probably start thinking he's as good as Stephen Curry. Like, that's who swag he is. He, he's the most confident dude in the world. He's a good shooter, and I think he's going to be an awesome fit on and off the court uh, for Golden State. Well, yeah, I think, yeah. that, I think yeah. that pool's a huge winner, too, because, I mean, if you think about it, he was a solid offensive, a solid individual scorer in a Big Ten that really slows the game down, doesn't give you a lot of space on offense. They kind of muck everything up. And now mm-hmm. he's going to the team 
that spreads the floor more than anybody, moves the ball, gets people open. And so giving him that space is just going to make him that much better. He was at his best, too, spotting up. When he had to create his own shot, that was where he really struggled. And going to Golden State, he's not necessarily going to have to worry about that. He's got Stephen Curry and a bunch of other guys, when healthy, uh, who will do that for him. So I really like that fit for him. But the, I guess, kind of end result of players like him, Cleveland, I thought, reaching for Dylan Windler in the first round. Those guys being dropped a lot earlier than expected. We saw some really, I thought, highly rated guys end up falling to the second round. Bull Bull was somebody that coming into the year, everybody had Bill as a top five pick. Even after the injury, I assumed he would still go in the lottery, but he really fell, ended up going in the middle of the second round uh, to the Nuggets. That's a, a big drop, Connor. I know you had talked about him as a loser, but it wasn't necessarily a worst case scenario for him. No, I mean, he's he's going to a Nuggets team that's already had to deal um, with Michael Porter Jr., who had that injury uh, heading into the draft. They, they've shown the ability to be patient with guys who are injured. It's a solid team. He kind of fits in there. I mean, he and he can do everything. So being drafted 44th is, is why he's a loser. He's going to make a little bit less money to start. He definitely should have been drafted higher, in my opinion. But he's going to an organization that's going to handle him correctly. So it's a loser, but I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that he went where he went and to where he went. You got to add 30 and 40 pounds on him before I think he can really make the kind of impact that we think he can have. But I was really high on him pre-draft because he can shoot three block shots. Obviously being that big brings a lot of value. He's mobile, although not particularly defensively, but he has kind of the wingspan makeup for that. Uh, I really liked him coming in the draft. I would have taken a gamble on him late in the first round. I think Trent, I know you think he was a big steal as well. Yeah. Um, I wanted, I'm a Miami Heat fan. I wanted Miami Heat to take him 13, but I mean, I'm, I think I was higher than anybody on Bobo. Got my fair share of backlash on it, but I mean, this guy is how seven foot three, like a nine foot plus standing reach. He can, he reminds me a lot of, and I wrote an article about him, uh, Porzingis. He reminds me of Porzingis, obviously not as strong, obviously. Um, and then touching on the weight, um, I've heard some people say that he's lost weight because of the foot injury. And then I've heard people say, no, he just weighed that much. But it doesn't matter about the weight. He Say he weighed a 208 pounds anyways. He still averaged 21 points per game, 10, re- 10 rebounds per game, three blocks per game, and he shot 52% from the three-point line in nine games. Um, this last season. Of course, it's a small sample size, but he, he, he even with the small sample size, he would have shot at least 34, 35% from three. Um, he, he, I think he's definitely should not have went 44. Like, and then like some teams, it was their second, third chance on a guy like, like, I feel like I was taking my, my first chance and just took the risk. And I think the, the Nuggets, I think that was their only pick in the draft. And it, like, it was pretty savvy of them, like, because they've dealt with Michael Porter Jr. Uh, Vanderbilt, obviously they're really, really patient with these young guys, but they know that it could reap the, what the benefits could be. And I thought it was very, very smart of them to trade that pick, uh, that Miami Heat pick, and um, get him. I was mad at the Heat at first because I thought they had that pick, but then it turned out that they traded it beforehand. So, they were so, 29 of the picks out of the 60 
on draft night ended up being traded at least once, which was nuts. It was a, just an unprecedented amount of trades. And I thought what happened with the big men draft night too, just in general, was interesting. Because every time we hear, hear and talk about the NBA now, when it comes to big men, it's teams want mobile big men who can block shots and shoot threes. Bull Bull was that guy, yet he fell in the second round, although there were some other concerns. Uh, Nicholas Claxton from Georgia, who I thought is going to end up being the, the steal, one of the steals of the draft, I went to Brooklyn with the first pick of the second round. Is somebody long, athletic, shoot threes, block shots. I think it's going to end up being a really good compliment to Jared Allen in Brooklyn. Uh, he fell. Uh, some people had him pegged late in the first round. He ended up falling. We're on the flip side, guys like Jackson Hayes, who are more traditional big men who don't have a game outside of the paint, but super athletic, shot blocker, a rim runner. Alex, I know you thought they may have reached a little bit for him though, at, at number eight. Yeah, well, I mean, once uh, Hachimura and Johnson were off the board as the two biggest reaches, I wanted to go a little different, so I put Hayes. Uh, so you mentioned Claxton, like, those two played each other uh, this year, Texas, Georgia, respectively. Um, Claxton just outplayed him, and to be quite frank, like, are, are we sure Claxton's not a better prospect? Like, they can both nope. block shots. Claxton can, was the basically the point guard for Georgia, which was not a great decision. I don't think he's naturally a point guard. I don't play him there in the NBA, but still, he's showed off a decent amount of playmaking skills and he shot a few threes didn't shoot great like 28 percent or something like that but I think his skill set is just more diverse and more modern friendly compared to Jackson Hayes who's just like a typical rim running center and that's about it I will agree with that but I do think that the Pelicans were the perfect fit for Hayes oh, that's what they're going to have I just think he's a little high yeah but I mean for the Pelicans they traded down and got him so if you want a guy like that they I think they at least got something mm-hmm. of value for him. I thought the Wizards would have taken him at nine because they need a big. But playing mm-hmm. next to, to Zion, he's going to end up being uh, the rim protector, and he'll get some help with Zion's defensive versatility. Doug be relied on to be a scorer because they have Lonzo Ball now, Brandon Ingram, Drew Holiday, along with Zion. Josh Hart off the bench if he continues to develop. They have guys who will carry the load offensively and allow him to kind of chip in where he wants to or where he can, so to speak. Plus, I, I'm really intrigued about the, the pick-and-roll lobs he's going to get from Lonzo Ball. I think mm-hmm. that'll be a lot of fun for him. Trenton, I know you really liked what the Pelicans did in the draft as well. It, yeah, it's all about – all sort of the Anthony Davis trade. Um, could have lost him for nothing or he could have got what they got, which was a huge haul. And, then you know, they, I think every single pick that they picked, they they hit on. You know, you got Zion, of course. That's No, you're not going to miss with that pick. They got Zion, and then Jackson Hayes filled a need. Was it the best in a prospect? You know, maybe not. Um, a lot of people think it's the Goga Bitadze. I don't know how to say his name. Some people think it's him. Um, and then pick uh, pick 17, uh, Nickel Alexander-Walker. Uh, Shaw Gillis is Alexander's cousin, kind of a similar game. Um, I don't think it was like, the best pick there because of Lonzo Ball, but as far as I think the best person on the board, I think, I mean, you can make an argument that he was the best person on the board at 17, and he can play some too. Good good bench piece. So I think that um, what they got with, you know, the Anthony Davis trade and everything and the way they utilized those picks is second and none. That was really, really good draft by them. Uh, GM, who stepped in, David Griffin, he's done a spectacular job since he stepped in, so. They're, they're on the right track. they got a lot of good young talent and stuff. So I'm I agree. I, I thought they were the biggest winner of the draft for reasons other than them getting Zion number one. Because winning the lottery obviously puts them miles ahead of where they would have been otherwise. But I like the Hayes pick for them. 
because I think, again, the role Hayes can play. Uh, Alexander Walker, one of the better players on the board, number 17, I agree. He fills a, a need for them in terms of depth because New Orleans has never really had good backcourt depth. And his size and being able to play on or off the ball is a major advantage for them. Connor, I know you really liked Memphis's draft as well. Number two, getting that helped them as well. Then John Morant, but then getting Brandon Clark later in the first round as well. Yeah, I mean, and I mentioned uh, on Twitter um, pretty much right after the draft ended that obviously people are going to be pointing the, to the Pelicans as the biggest winners. I mean, they got Zion. They, they got a, a whole host of, of good players. But Memphis went after probably the two, two of the top five to ten most explosive players in the draft. Um, John Morant coming in to play point guard for them will help them a little bit with some of their pacing issues um, and will help kickstart what was kind of a bad offense. And, and I think that, you know, him uh, along with Jaron Jackson and Brandon Clark are just going to bring some, some pretty solid athleticism to, to a team that for years was not really known for their high pace, high explosion of play. So I don't think they were necessarily the best draft. I think that that probably goes to the Pelicans, but I think that the two players they got were two of the players that I was highest on heading into the draft. Well, what kind of impact do you think Clark can have for them? Because we talked about last time the fact that Clark kind of needs to fill a particular role to have his best sort of impact on in the NBA. Do you think the Grizzlies can give that to him? Yeah, no, I, I definitely think that they can give that to him. I think that he's going to have to to work a little bit on his spacing um, and, and his ability to shoot the jumper. But I think as long as he's not asked to be the guy, right, and he's not going to, uh, where he was drafted, the roster they have, the fact that they got John Moran, he, he's not going to be asked to be the guy that's going to create all the offense. Um, but setting picks, switching on to, to anyone three through five, um, uh, unless you're playing one of those large players like a Jokic, uh, who, who he's probably not going to be able to handle as well defensively. But if you're playing a small team, say you're playing a Kevon Looney, he's going to be, be enough, to, you know, be able to handle that size of a, of a center uh, and, and just be able to switch, be able to kind of fill his role offensively is a little bit limited, but I think his, where he brings it is with his defense and his ability to switch really mm-hmm. the large wings to, to centers. Well, and Jaron Jackson's three-point shooting ability kind of helps out with where Clark's going to fit offensively with any potential spacing. I don't think you're going to turn Jaron Jackson to a three-point shooter uh, necessarily in a Chris Bosh type mold, uh, but that at least I think will help alleviate any spacing issues they would have from playing uh, Clark and Jackson together at the same time. John Morant, I think people think is going to be a star. Zion Williamson, obviously, I think everybody thinks is going to be a star of some sort, whether it's an all-star or superstar. Everybody could agree on that. I think R.J. Barrett has the the most star potential in this class, especially going to New York, a place where he can be the true alpha lead scorer, which is kind of who he's bred to be. Uh, Alex, and I know you agree with me. Why? Why do you think that? Uh, well, okay. First of all, if you go back, I'm going to take you back to like, what, 2017, I think, when he was Team Canada, led his team to victory. That's the first time he was really on the map, and it was like, this guy's the number one prospect in this class. It's not even close. And then all of a sudden, something he could never have predicted, he was never, he was not the best player on his team. That, that's not something Barrett has ever experienced in his basketball playing career, and then he wasn't. And, and next to Zion and then Cam, 
their team was surrounded with the worst possible role players because none of them could shoot. You had a point guard that couldn't shoot. Jack White missed, what, 20, 30-something straight three-pointers in the middle of the season. They had no spacing. And then Barrett was all of a sudden relegated to that second option. And whenever he took a shot, it seemed like casual basketball-watching fans, more like NBA fans who were only watching to see Zion, are just like, what, what the hell is he doing? Why is he taking shots away from Zion? It's like, well, actually, this is what he does. And I, from what I've read, he works super hard, one of the hardest workers uh, in the world, Kay says, uh, and I like that. And plus, he can, he can just score the basketball. I mean, he posted one of the highest scoring um, just overall point totals in freshman history in the NCAA. Uh, so I think just the fact that he's a hard worker, he's a talented player, and he can score the basketball really well. Plus, his playmaking ability is underrated, I think. I agree. He averaged, I think, four, over four assists per game last year. And had a couple triple doubles, a couple double-digit assist nights, particularly when Williamson was out. And when Trey Jones was hurt, he kind of took over as the primary ball handler. I think he kind of fell victim to a narrative uh, early on in the season. Because early on in the season, he was a volume shooter who uh, made poor decisions, turned the ball over a lot, forced some shots rather than passing and kind of playing some one-on-one basketball. He improved in all those areas as the season went on, but because he had kind of been slotted in that early and all the Zion stuff that came after that, no one was paying attention to, you know, his minute improvements in certain areas. Everybody wanted to see the Zion show and knew RJ could score. And so I think his improvement, like he, he got a lot better as the season went on, but doesn't necessarily get the credit for it because of the Zion hype and the way Duke sort of faded down the stretch. Another Duke player that people are kind of torn about was Cam Reddish. Ended up going number 10 to the Hawks. People are very torn on him, whether he can be that star, because a lot of people had him potentially being Duke's best freshman coming into the year. I believe he was the number one prospect um, at one point in time during their senior year in high school, ahead of uh, Zion and RJ Barrett before Barrett eventually came back and took that over. Fell to number 10 to the Hawks. Did not have a good year at Duke. Some people are hoping he'll be able to find his groove back. Connor, I know you don't think he will. Why is that? Well, I think that part of it's going to be there's going to be more pressure on him. I mean, at Duke, he really didn't have that much pressure to be the top player. He was the third option, and that's what he was expected to be. And he shot 33% from three, and he shot less than 40% from two. And, you know, it's just it's one of those things where I feel like going to the Hawks where it is a young roster, and yes, you have Trey Young, but is he really going to be able to handle even more pressure at the NBA level when it didn't seem like he ever got into a groove in college? Well, he shot less than 40% from the field in general, uh, not even just from three where he was around 30%. Like He wasn't effective, and I think it's, it's funny because everybody is – he has the personality type of being a secondary option, not a lead guy. And everybody then becomes happy that he went to a Hawks team where he can be a secondary guy next to Trey Young, John Collins, some of the other guys they drafted. But it's essentially putting him in the same place he was at at Duke where he wasn't effective at all. I think he might be most effective playing a secondary ball handler role, kind of leading the bench unit in an Evan Turner type fashion. Uh, obviously a, a better, more talented overall player than Evan Turner. But I think that's kind of where he's best suited. I don't, I don't, from what he showed at Duke, I don't know if he's necessarily going to become the guy that everybody thinks he's going to be. He was the Hawks' second pick in the draft. DeAndre Hunter was the, the first. They traded up to get him number four overall. Trenton, you think that's a mistake, though? Um, I mean, I'll, I'll like DeAndre Hunter. Um, 
fourth overall. I mean, okay, you pick the guy fourth overall, he's going to be an all-star. And in this, you know, most likely to be kind of like a bust. I don't think he's going to be a bust. Like, I think he's going to have a very, very good long career. He can kind of do everything well. But can he, is he going to be able to do anything great is the thing. Um, kind of talk about Cam Reddish in college. And, you know, talk about the defensive, you know, studness of DeAndre Hunter. Cam Reddish actually averaged more steals per game than Hunter did last season. I didn't know that until I looked that up. I thought that was crazy. I thought share. But as far as what they're expecting for the fourth pick, I don't think DeAndre Hunter is going to get them get them what they want with that with that pick. Um, especially not the upside. Um, as far as what he's going to give you for a good long period of time, yeah, that's good. Um, Reddish is a guy that I think will have a better career. Um. At Duke, you know, you get that log jam of talent, you know, Barrett and Zion, uh, kind of less free-moving offense, a little bit more log jam, uh, you know, a little bit more, not as much ball movement and spacing, can't really do his thing. Um, if he went, went to a UCLA or just any different school, I think he would have been a top-five pick. I mean, I, I just, that's just me. I think I think the role for him at Duke is what – did him in more than it was his game. And I think that's evident from his, his ranking and, and his highlight tapes. And I know everybody calls him an empty gym all-star. I've heard that. But I just think it, it's, it's different from being at Duke than it's at the NBA. A lot more freedom to do your thing um, and stuff like that. And I think he's going to have a little bit better career and especially better upside than what Hunter can have. Well, Hunter, Hunter's certainly a good defender, but I think Reddish has a lot of defensive upside as well. He's six eight, seven one wingspan, athletic enough to defend multiple positions, and I think that part of his game does get enough credit. Alex, uh, I I like these picks. I know you don't. I know you don't think the Hawks had a good draft. Um, no, I I just the Hunter to me, like I I think he's going to be a very solid role player. I think he's going to be like a Trevor Ariza dude. Like someone that you can rely on to play good defense, and he's going to make corner threes like he did in the championship game. Um, but I don't think he's ever going to be an all star, and I'm not even sure that's the consensus of what people are expecting from him. So I don't understand taking a guy who has probably a limited ceiling at number four, especially when you have two picks and you can kind of just take a swing on somebody. Um, like maybe Jared Culver, I think that would have been a much better option. But then with Reddish, I just I don't I did not enjoy watching him at Duke. Half the time I just forgot he was on the court and. I just could not picture him in a playoff setting in, in the NBA where all 10 dudes have to be busting their ass on the floor, diving for loose balls, good defensively. And to me, Cam Reddish just doesn't have that assertive mentality. And it seems like in a big moment, he'll hesitate or, I mean, he po- he'll turn the ball over a lot, turned it over more time, or he had more turnovers than assists this past year at Duke. And to me, like we said, he's, he'd be a top five pick if he went to UCLA, but like, I mean, he's a third option at Duke. They needed four spacing, and he really couldn't provide it. So if he couldn't even be a good role player at Duke, which is what he was more or less, a glorified role player, how's he going to be that a good version of that in the NBA? Do you think they should have – you touched on Culver, who ended up going six to the Timberwolves. Do you think they should have taken Culver instead of Hunter? Because I know you really like uh, Culver and the fact that the Timberwolves were able to get him at six. Uh, yeah, I do think so, because I think Culver just has a much higher – uh, ceiling than either Hunter or Reddish, and Culver to me can be that secondary ball handler or someone who plays off the ball. Right? People forget he was a forty percent three point shooter before uh, when he was just an off ball player and at Texas Tech and Keenan Evans and Zaire Smith were the main focal points. 
but no, with Culver, you know, he's just got such a diverse skill set, and he's really good defensively, super smart, works really hard, and I think he's kind of moldable. And he might even still be growing. He was listed at 6'5 at the beginning of the year. Now he's grown to like 6'6 six, six and three quarters, I think, is what the draft combine had him at. So to me, that's just a dude that has such a high ceiling, and I'd rather have that dude on my team and just go ahead and take the risk. Maybe it's not a perfect fit next to Trey Young, but rather than Hunter, who I think I know what his floor and ceiling is. Yeah, and two, we saw him be the leader of a team that made a very long NCAA tournament run. We saw him exceed all expectations. He had a good freshman year two years ago this year coming in as the guy with Keenan Evans and, and Zaire Smith off the Texas Tech team. He led this group and really did everything for them. So in that aspect, I think you feel more comfortable putting more on his shoulders than you do somebody like Reddish who proved – or I get, not necessarily proved, but showed – that he wasn't couldn't handle a, a small load on a team like Duke to the level that we were expecting of him. On Texas Tech's path, got to the Final Four the first time in school history, beating Gonzaga in the Elite Eight. Gonzaga had a lot of people go. Zach Norvell, Connor, I know, was somebody that a lot of people were surprised to see him go. He ended up going undrafted, um, but he ended up in a pretty good situation with the Lakers. Yeah, and, and I think that's almost entirely on his agent. I think that once it got to the middle of the second round and they realized that there wasn't really a good fit left, um, they kind of didn't want him to to go. He signed a deal with probably the perfect team. I think that the Lakers are going to be looking for one of those guys who can come off the bench and just hit shots from range um, and, and space the floor a little bit when their starters are off the court. So I think that he's in one of those perfect positions as a with on a two-way contract with the Lakers to kind of earn that spot on the final roster when the season starts. Yeah, and there's a lot of value, I think, in this class with undrafted guys because there's not much difference, as we talked about, in a lot of these prospects that went after the top 10. Um, even after the lottery, there's not a huge difference. And I think Norvell is somebody who can play a role. Uh, I I think he'll end up being a, a rotation player for the Lakers by the end of the season, just knowing the way the Lakers are trying to fill out their roster, looking for shooters, which he's, he's one of the better ones in the draft, especially when he gets hot. He, he never misses. He'll make anything when he gets hot. But the way they want to space the floor and the way they're going after another top-end guy, they're not going to have salary cap space to fill out the roster with guys that they – that they want or feel comfortable playing. And so having somebody like Norvell who can provide that shooting ability, I think is going to be really, really good for them. Um, Alex, another undrafted guy who you're looking at is Daquan Jeffries from Tulsa. Uh, yeah, I really like Jeffries. Uh, he's not your typical uh, NBA prospect. He's not got the eight foot standing reach or the 48 inch vertical or whatever. He's just like this 6'5". I don't even know what to call him. He's just like a big body. I don't, I'm don't. i not even sure what his position is, but he's someone that's super tough, uh, really good defensively, tough on the glass, uh, and can space the floor. To me, he's not. he probably won't be someone that translates immediately, but maybe he puts on even more weight and just his experience, his toughness. It's, some, it's the same type of traits that someone like P.J. Tucker has. He'll have a long NBA career even if it doesn't, doesn't start immediately. There are a lot. Of, I, I think there are a few guys. Jeffries wouldn't surprise me. There was rumors he would end up going early in the second round, if not in the first round, in the weeks leading up to the draft. I was surprised to see him go undrafted. I, I thought Shamori Pons probably would have. He's another guy who probably would have 
been expected to be drafted middle, later second round. He ended up going undrafted. Trenton, you think he's going to provide some value and make an impact in the league? Yeah, and as far as undrafted rookies who has a chance to make a team's roster, I feel like Pons has the best chance, and part of it's because the Rockets didn't have a pick, and but then they went out and they got Pons, and I think and he's not going to do anything special, but he's going to be a nice rotational, I think, piece to that Rockets team. Um, I think he's going to be able to score a little bit, shoot a little bit, um, and handle a little bit of the ball handling ability if CP3 and James Harden allows it. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's <laughs> – I think it's a like as far as him and out of all the undrafted rookies, as far as like of all of them, who has the best chance at making the roster besides, of course, your guy and the Lakers? I think he has a really, really good chance, and that's because they didn't have a draft pick, but they had their picking of guys, and they picked him, and I think he's going to be able to slide right in and provide some valuable minutes. Yeah, that's another great fit for an undrafted guy because the Rockets are a team without really any cap space, but need to kind of find some rotation players. And I think he's somebody who's at least going to get a shot to prove he can be in a rotation. And because he can make plays for himself and shoot the three, uh, he's in a good position. Lou Dort is also, I think, in a good position simply from a talent perspective. Nobody with his sort of defensive prowess and I think overall upside as, as a freshman, given his, his strength and overall athleticism, those guys typically don't go undrafted. A lot of people expected him to go into the first round, Connor, and to see him go undrafted really surprised me. Yeah, and I think that if Lou Dort hadn't tried to do too much at Arizona State, he probably would have been drafted. I think one of his biggest issues in college was trying to do too much. Um, he shot far too many threes. He was not a three-point shooter. If he had just been one of those guys who could drive to the rim – play defense, help uh, facilitate the offense and, and be that kind of big bully as, as a guard, I think it would have been better. But I think that uh, because he had a lot of those kind of boneheaded moments in college, a lot of those questionable decision-making moments, and that's all, you know, a uh, that's all going to come with him not necessarily having – the same level, I guess, of, ex- of experience as some of the other freshmen. But I think that if you look at his athleticism and you look at his skill, he is one of the top freshmen in this draft pool. I just think that also being in the Pac-12, the Pac-12 as a whole kind of dropped in the draft. What else is new? Yeah. What else is new? I think with Dort, he showed how poor of a shooter he was. So there wasn't a chance he could really hide it. Yeah. And he showed so much of it that it became painfully obvious that he re- needed a lot of work in that area. And he didn't seem aware of it, which I think hurt his stock as well. Well, now with, with the draft over, the fun part now is we get to see all these prospects in Summer League coming up here in the next couple of days. Fun part is we get to see these rookies on the court with their professional teams for the first time. We get to see these undrafted guys go out and try and earn a roster spot, um, potentially earn some money overseas, but the goal is to get a roster spot. Going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I know we've talked about the Hawks a little bit. I'm really excited to see them because they have a bunch of young talent out there, and I'm curious to see, get a first look at how they all work together, how Reddish performs uh, with his new guys, if Hunter can have uh, a more expanded role in kind of what we see from that. That's what I'm excited to see. 
Alex, I know you're interested to see the Celtics, and I assume uh, because a lot of the moving parts they have going on and, and the four incoming uh, uh, rookies they have. You just have so many uh, different parts that I think are going to mesh so weirdly together. Especially, you're gonna, they're probably going to send Robert Williams back, who doesn't seem to give an F about anything when it comes to basketball so far, if his rookie season showed anything. I mean, he was late to his first meeting last year. Uh, then you've got Grant Williams, who a lot of people love. And I think for him, you're going to see immediately, does he adjust, does his game translate against NBA length? I think that, I mean, now the summer league is obviously a more watered down version of the NBA, but still, there's big bodies. I'm, I'm curious to see whether his game translates immediately. And then the dynamic between Carson Edwards and Romeo Langford will be hilarious to me because even Romeo was picked higher. He's regarded as the higher prospect, but not for one second does Carson Edwards believe that, and there is no chance he will defer to Romeo Langford. Uh, I want another Carson Edwards, like, NCAA tournament uh, experience. I want 45 points in a game, and I want stupid fadeaway bank three-pointers. I'm ready for it. I think the Celtics will be hilarious. We, we might get that, but we may also get from him what he showed kind of in February, yeah, where he, he was three for 27 games and scoring mm-hmm. six points. Uh, that'll be fun to watch. Another part I like about Summer League is seeing some of those college stars like Carson Edwards, but who don't have the kind of NBA prospects they did. Guys like Fletcher McGee, guys like Taco Fall, who are trying to earn their spot. Trent, I know that's something you're looking forward to as well. Uh, Fletcher McGee, as far as he went to the Bucks, right? They need they need shooting. So I think that's a, a good piece. Taco Fall, a guy who some people think could fit in. Will he fit in? Um, to the league, I think it's be interesting. Well, first of all, just interesting watching him play basketball because he's seven foot seven. So it'd be interesting to see how he how his game translates to the to the NBA game. Of course, you said Alex, it's kind of a watered down version of that. But could he step up and find a NBA role that way? Fletcher McGee, Hans, I want to see what he can do and if he can actually step up and make the roster. Um, the Celtics players, Carson Edwards, Car- Carson Edwards goes. He doesn't need to force too much if he wants to. But he will. Yeah, definitely will. As far as Carson Edwards, he needs to not. He needs to do enough, but he doesn't need to force it because he can have those games where the Celtics get turned off really, really quick. He needs to find the happy medium if he wants to, you know, make a roster spot. But yeah, there's just there's tons of players in the summer league. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. I know he's not a rookie, but him, will he playing in the summer league? You know, how will he look? So yeah, the summer league is really fun. It's, that's one of my most favorite parts of the NBA season is because you get these guys who are unproven and they can kind of show off what they can do and if they can make a make make a roster. So I like it. Nuggets will be another interesting team. That's a good point. You know, Michael Porter Jr. playing for the first time in about a, a year, trying to prove he's still the guy who people thought he would be in high school before all the injuries. Bull Bull taking the court with him as well. Uh, a lot of question marks, I think, will start to be answered with the Nuggets playing. Uh, Connor, we'll wrap this up here with you. Summer League starting in a couple days. What are you looking for? What are you excited about? Um, I wouldn't say excited. I'd say more more intrigued. Um, looking at these Mountain West players that were drafted and seeing how they can actually compete because <laughs> I'm not convinced that Cody Martin, Justin James, and Jalen McDaniels should have been drafted. Jalen McDaniels, I think, honestly, if I was – high on any of them to be drafted it would have been McDaniels just because he is more athletic and and bigger um Cody Martin provides you with a lot of good defense and and can facilitate if if he needs to but he's not a great shooter I'm honestly not sorry I'm honestly not convinced the Hornets meant to take Cody I think they meant to take Caleb but but I think that Caleb Martin's not as good like Cody Martin actually fills a role oh I know but just 
as a Hornets fan, knowing the Hornets and the fact that Caleb was the one who got the awards, I think they meant to pick Caleb and ended up picking Cody. That that would uh that would be the icing on the cake. But uh but the Justin James one just makes zero sense to me. I mean, you and I get it. He's a long guard, a long scoring guard. He's six seven, um, but he can't shoot. So he, he does. He's kind of like a, a just. I I don't really know where he fits in. You took him over some solid Pac twelve players. Um, just being a guy on the West Coast, guys I watched like Jalen Noel. I think is way better than Justin James as a scoring guard. Um, I think that Jalen Hands does more for you as a guard than Justin James does. So it was really confusing. But I will add to this, included in that Mountain West, I'm really interested and kind of excited to watch Jimmer Fredette play for the Warriors in the summer. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's going to be fun because I think he's legitimately auditioning for a roster spot. And if he gets that, because Golden State's going to need uh, players to fill out that roster. And if he makes it, him being a bench gunner for the Warriors is going to be awesome. But yeah, that's that's what I'm excited about. I think that I, honestly, this whole draft was kind of confusing. I the Wizards using their one draft pick to kind of reach a little bit on on Rui Hachimura when uh, they didn't really need his scoring. They needed someone that could kind of defend multiple positions, and I'm not sure Hachimura is that guy. So I, I think they're they got to figure what they're doing, and I think what they're doing is eventually tearing it down and just ended up trying to go with. The- player they thought was had the best potential but anyway that'll do it for us here on the busting brackets podcast thank you for tuning in we'll be back later on this this month the coming weeks to talk about the latest happenings college basketball from our co-host connor hope thank you for joining us alex weber and trenton corn i'm brian ralph talk to you guys next time